Okay, if, if you are um, into white-knuckle, uh, heart-pounding, jaw-dropping cinema, I'd have to highly recommend you going on National Geographic and looking up the documentary called Free Solo. Free Solo. It will leave you breathless. Breathless. It's a story about this guy named Alex Honnold, and he is a free climber. Now, he is about to attempt the first time ever, first guy to ever reach the peak of a place called El Capitan in uh, Yosemite National uh, Forest. 3,200 feet high. No harnesses, no ropes, no net. Free climbing. Now, just imagine the implications of being a free climber, okay? One mistake and you are dead. One slip one shoe malfunction, one cramp in your leg, one fatigued grip, and you are dead. One mistake and you're dead. So I bring all this up so that we might be able to keep that image in our minds as we look at Abram in Genesis chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go there. Keep the image of Alex Honnold, the free solo guy, in your mind. One slip, one mistake, you're good as dead. All right? We'll look at three point, four points today. A promise, a covenant, a depression, and then a gift. So a promise, a covenant, a depression sets in, and then the gift of grace. Okay? So remember where we are in the Bible, okay? The Bible is God's love letter to human beings. It is God's rescue mission to come and get his beloved children who have gone astray and fallen into sin. That's all the Bible's about. So, so the Bible's telling the story, and in this mission to save his people, he picks two people in the beginning, Abram and Sarai. And that's what we're learning about today. And he makes a promise with Abram and Sarai. He says, I'm going to make you guys a great nation. You're going to have a lot of descendants. And those descendants will be a blessing to you, but in order that they might be a blessing to all the nations. So God's going to do something through this family that's going to extend to all the nations. We know, after the fact, that one of Abraham's seed named Yeshua, or Jesus, was born in that line, and that Yeshua means the Lord God saves. And through that line of descendants, God would save all people who would call upon the name of the Lord. But it started with Abram and Sarai. And remember, they're getting old at this point. They're getting old, and the promises of God don't seem to be coming true. So what they need is reassurance. Look at verse 1. Abram wants reassurance. Um, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. God said, Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. It's going to be okay. I'll come through with a promise. I promise. But Abram acted like most of us would, right? We need a little bit more to go on than that, Lord. Give me something to work off of here. I mean, I'm old. I'm old. The Bible says that he was as good as dead. He's that old. And then he said, look, look at my wife. She's old too. And, and she's barren and we don't have any children. you got to give me something to work off of here, God. And Abram sums up this desperate, desperate situation in verse 2. He said, Lord, I continue to be childless. And the heir of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. I don't have an heir. I need some evidence that your plan is really true, Lord. God reassures him in verse 4 and 5. Look at that. 
And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your own son's going to be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Abram, look up to the heavens. Number the stars if you're able to count them. Those will be your descendants. As many as the stars in the heavens and the sands on the seashore. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations. What a great promise. What a wonderful blessing. But it's going to take a mighty miracle for these two old folks to have children. Abram needed more than that. He needed extra reassurance to hold on to something concrete so that he might keep believing the promises of God. Which brings us to the covenant this morning. Okay, we're going to file this next verse under the category of be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for. Look at verse 8. I'm going to need some reassurance, God. And verse 8, it says, And he, Abram, said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I'll possess it? How I know? What sign will you give? Help me to believe. Now, Abram's heart must have sunk at this point, let me tell you, because of what God does next. Abram tells him, God tells Abram in verse 9, look at this. He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old. Bring me a female goat three years old. Bring me a ram three years old. Bring me a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought them all and cut them in half and laid each half over against itself. Now, what is that about? I'm glad you asked. For most of us, we'd call it a bloody mess. That's all that is about, a bloody mess. But Abram knew exactly what was going on. It was abundantly clear exactly what God was doing. He was cutting a covenant with Abram. Cutting a covenant. And here's how that goes. Remember, a covenant is a promise, right? We call the marriage covenant a promise we make between two parties as we swear oaths to one another. You know, 28 and a half years ago, I told this woman named Leslie that I would forsake all others and be faithful to her as long as we both shall live, and I said, I do. But when you make a covenant, you got to be totally faithful. you got to be totally faithful. you got to be 100% in. you got to have true fidelity and, and obedience and commitment. If I'd have stood before Leslie and said, I do at about an 85% level, she probably would have slapped me upside the head. I'm just saying. And I would have deserved it. Um, true fidelity, absolute commitment, 100% buy-in. Every Middle Easterner would have known that this covenant that he was creating between God and Abram demanded the same thing. You cut a trough in the dirt. You put the carcasses on either side. You let the blood of the animals flow into the ditch you just made. And then each party, swearing an allegiance to the other, would have to walk in the blood, splashing the blood up over the top of their white robes. Now, what are they saying when they do that? There's, it's called a self-maldictory oath. Mal means bad, right? These are the bad things that are going to happen to me if I don't keep my oath with you. If I'm not 100% true to my promise, let it be to me as it was to these animals. That's what the oath is all about. Let it be to me as it was to these animals. Now, it's okay if you got a marriage because we all fall short. None of us are perfect. And our wives and our husbands forgive us. But what about if you're creating a covenant with God, a righteous, holy, absolutely perfect being 
who you could never live up to as far as his holiness or righteousness is concerned. Well, you know what that would amount to? You're going free solo. One slip and you're dead. One sin, one fall from grace and you're dead. James chapter 2 verse 10 puts it this way. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point becomes guilty of it all. Guilty of it all. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, remember Matthew chapter 5, he's preaching the highest ethical standards that anybody has ever heard about. This is, this is what impressed Gandhi so much. He patterned his whole life after Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes and talks about the Ten Commandments. And he says to them, you shall not commit adultery. You've heard that. But I say to you, if you harbor lust in your heart for a woman and you do it for long enough, you've spiritually done it in your heart. You've committed adultery in your soul. If you have anger towards your brother, you, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, if you hold on to that anger, you've already murdered your brother in your heart. He locked down and intensified the law. He said, man, you should be praying for those who persecute you. You should be loving on your enemies. And then at the end of this sermon in chapter 5, guess what he says? Now go and be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. One slip, one false move, one fall from grace, and you're dead. May it be to me as it was to these animals. Abram knew this truth. He knew what's about to take place. Look at verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. That Hebrew expression, dreadful, great darkness, he's in depression. He knows he's a sinner. Literally, the phrase means, I'm scared to death of what might happen. Abram knew that he could never live up to the, the requirements of God's covenant. He couldn't live in perfect obedience before God, and he would have to pay with his life. Which brings us to our final point, the gift of grace. The good news today is that there is some very good news. And in the midst of this depression, in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this impossible covenant that he's cutting with God, look at the gift of grace in verse 17 and 18. When the sun went down that day and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces of animals. And on that day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abram. So I thought both parties had to walk the blood path. Why isn't Abraham walking? Why isn't Abram walking the blood path? Well, here's the deal. See, God is symbolized there as holy and righteous and perfect in every way. He is smoke and fire and holiness and those are the symbols. So we see God walking the blood path, saying, I'm going to be faithful to you, Abram. I'm going to bless you with descendants. And if I fail in my promises to you, may it be to me as it was to these animals. That's the first thing that God's saying. The second thing is, Abram, I know you can't keep the law. I know you can't live perfectly. So I'll walk the blood covenant for you as well. So here's the deal. I'm going to be faithful, God says. And if I fail you, you can do to me as we did to these animals. Here's the second part. Abram, you're not going to be faithful. And when you're not faithful, I've walked the blood covenant for you. May it be to me, the Lord your God, as it was to these animals, when you fail me. Does that sound anything like the cross? Sound anything like Jesus? God is holy and righteous, yet full of grace. He keeps our side of the bargain as well as his side of the bargain. 
And when we fail, he walked the blood covenant for us. In the greatest act of love the world has ever known, God sent his son, his only son, whom he loved into the world, to be beaten, to be stripped, to be humiliated, to be shamed, to be bloodied by thorns forced down over his scalp on his head, to stretch out his arms to be nailed upon the cross, to turn his feet sideways to be nailed sideways into the cross, to die of asphyxiation on the hardwood of the cross. Abram, when you sin, may it be to me as it was to these animals. Sound familiar? Folks, we call that grace. Jesus Christ lived the law we could never live, and he died the death we were supposed to die. And God promised that way back in Genesis. I'm going to walk both pathways for you. Christ in his blood fulfilled the covenant. And I'm sure Abram's depression lifted and he saw what God was doing and knew that God loved him and was full of grace. Do you believe that? Because that's the gospel. That is the gospel. It's the only hope for sinners. That God on Calvary, on the cross, walks the blood covenant for sinners to forgive us so that one day we can stand before an absolute righteous and holy God marked in the blood of the Lamb. So what does that do as far as application? Well, I imagine some of us have come here today under depression, like Abram had depression. Some of us have a sin or a darkness in our pathway and in our past that we keep going back to, and it's hurtful, and we haven't been able to leave it with God yet. Hear the word today. You can leave it with God. You can let it go. The devil is called the accuser in Scripture. And he wants to say, look at that thing that you did. You think that God could love somebody like you? You think that you can stand before a righteous and holy God one day? You know you're not good enough to stand before God. And sometimes we believe the lie. And I want you to drop the lie today. Because God walked the blood path for us in Christ Jesus. Don't believe the devil. Christ has taken away your sin. He's walked the blood path for you. Psalm 103 today, and I'm, I'm about to close. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 14 says, God knows our frame, and he knows that we are but dust. Isn't that kind of how we started this whole Lenten journey? You're dust. Without God, to dust you shall return. So God knows us. He knew Abraham, knew Abram, knew his sinfulness. And yet the psalmist continues. God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. So far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes our sins from us. How far is the east, is from, how far is the east from the west? Infinitely far. That's how, how far our sins are removed from us. So if you come today with the burden of sin, some sort of depression, some sort of darkness, let him remove your iniquities as far as the east is from the west. He promised to walk the blood path for you. Tim Keller, in his wonderful book on marriage, says this about the gospel. He says, if you are unknown and yet loved, it is superficial and maybe comforting. So if I meet somebody for the first time here today and you say, Trip Jeffords, I love you. I'll be happy about that, but I'll say, you don't really know me. If you truly knew me, you might not love me. That's kind of superficial. If you are fully known and rejected, now that's the worst thing of all. 
That's what we fear more than anything, that somebody will really know my sin and won't love me. They'll reject me because of it. It's the worst thing in the world. Only in God are we fully known and fully loved at the same time. Where the psalmist say, I know your frame and you're but dust, but I love you and I'm walking the blood path for you. God's love is incomprehensible. His grace more than you can ever ask for or imagine. He took the punishment for you. May it be to me as it was to these animals. And on the cross of Calvary, he came true to his deal. He was true to his oath, and he gave his life for our sins. And that's what we call grace. Let us pray.